Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, worship team. Thank you, Amanda. Happy Mother's Day to you. Good morning. And happy Mother's Day to the moms, uh, those who are joining us and those who are online. Uh, glad to have you here with us today. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, into the first part of 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, just a couple things that are going to get us set for this morning. Um, first of all, um, I always struggle with Mother's Day. <laughs> and so this is me just being honest and vulnerable with you, because it just seems like in so many ways Mother's Day uh, can be a, a, a double-edged sword. Some of you are here today, moms, and you are happy. And so when you're greeted with happy Mother's Day, it lands on you well, and you uh, are thankful for your children, your relationship with your children, the way that they've honored you today, the way they've celebrated you today, and, and, you're, and you're happy about being in that role. Um, but there are so many others of us in the room, <laughs> it's not a happy day. Um, you may be here today, and maybe within the last 12 months, you've lost your mother. And so the greeting, Happy Mother's Day, just doesn't land on you well today, because at this point, it, maybe it's not a happy day. Or maybe you're here today, and you're a mom, and your relationship with your children is stretched thin right now, and there's tension there, or it's broken altogether, and you're thinking, I wish that I had my children here with me today. I wish that um, I had um, time with them here today that I'm not going to have. And so for you, it's, it's not a happy Mother's Day, although you wish it was. And uh, I think about many more scenarios um, those of you maybe who have miscarried, whether it was the last year or just at some point, out of that desire and expectation to be a mother, and, and so today it just reminds you of that, and uh, maybe you're here today and, and you're a, a child of a mom, and you want to celebrate that mom, and, and maybe the relationship's torn the other way, and so you're thinking, I wish I had my mom, I wish I had the relationship with her today so that I could say, happy Mother's Day, but the, the heart behind that greeting really is to display honor. And so I think if we could figure out a different way to say it, so here's how I, I would say it. Um, moms, we honor you today. Um, I think about what Paul said to Timothy about the role of the elder in 1 Timothy 3. He said, if anybody desires to be um, an elder, an overseer, he desires a noble task. And so I say to the moms here today, those joining us online, if you desire to be a mother, um, you desire a noble task. It's, 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 um, it's worth mentioning. It's worth honoring. And so to all the moms today, we honor you. Uh, we're glad that you're here. I think about another way that Mother's Day can be a, a two-edged sword, and this is going to lead us into the sermon today, in the sense that on one hand, it's nice to be remembered and acknowledged, and like uh, that, that feeling of gratitude is like, oh, somebody does notice. <laughs> somebody does pay attention to all the work that I do. Fine, like, okay, so maybe it isn't all being overlooked, but if we're not careful, the other edge of that sword is that in celebrating moms today, in applauding moms today for all their hard work, for all your hard work, if we're not careful, we will reinforce the voice of the inner critic who says, you're not enough. And you'll leave here today thinking, I just need to do better. I just need to perform more. If I'm going to get what I got today, the other 364 days, I guess, I guess I need to work harder. And so the other edge of that sword could be reinforcing uh, this performance-driven identity or perform performance-driven value that is no value at all. And really, this is going to lead us into the book of Hosea today. If I think about the greatest needs of the moms who I know, and man, if you just listen up for a moment, I know it's super hard to know the heart of a mom. <laughs> it can be confusing. Uh, it's hard to sort through um, everything that is expressed and to, to really see the hearts of our wives and the hearts of ladies 
Um, but I would say this, we're also commanded to live with our wives in an understanding way, and if we'll pay attention, uh, we can get to know the hearts of a mom, and so uh, in paying attention to you moms and, and the moms that I've had the opportunity to get to know, including my own wife and my own mom, um, there, there, there are some needs that you have that um, are mostly unique to being you and being in that role that you're in, and so when I think about the greatest needs of moms, and I think about one of the greatest places we could go in Scripture to see God meet you in your need, it leads us to the book of Hosea, which is a very um, unlikely Mother's Day passage to read a passage about this unfaithful wife. Where is the preacher going with this today? And, uh, and so I made Daniel get up and read it first. That way, whew, that part's done. Um, but in all sincerity, um, I believe the greatest message of honor and, and hope and value and worth that you could hear today in that role of mother comes from places like the book of Hosea in chapter 2. And so just some backstory here um, to what's going on. Uh, Hosea is a, is a prophet. God has come to Hosea and called him to do something that's really, um, not, not to say it's out of the ordinary would be an understatement. It's, it's extraordinary in the sense that um, Hosea um, is called to go and to choose a wife among unfaithful women. And so he does so. And then they, they begin to have children, and God directs um, Hosea and Gomer on the names of their children. The first is Jezreel, uh, and then another child called Not uh, My Children, <laughs> Not My Child, and then another one, or Not My People, and then another one called No Mercy. And so the story begins in chapter one, unfolding in just like a really strange way. It's like, God, what are you doing here in this story? And it's a beautiful setup to understanding who God is and his love for us, his love for you, um, especially you moms who struggle with the voice of the inner critic. And when I think about um, God's protection over us as his people, and I think about moms specifically, I think about the greatest enemy of moms and, and who God could protect you from. Unfortunately, um, one of your greatest enemies is yourself. And unfortunately, um, when you hear the voice of culture critiquing you as a mom, it's reinforcing a voice that's already there, the voice of the inner critic, uh, the voice that looks at other moms and says to himself, herself, this is hopefully going to resonate with you, Moms, when you look in the mirror, all the other moms seem to have this figured out. Why can't I? All the other moms seem to find time to eat healthy and go to the gym and still get all their mom stuff done. Why can't I? All the other moms don't seem to have trouble planning the perfect birthday parties for their kids. Why can't I? Why is that so hard for me? All the other moms seem to get their kids out of bed on time and get them fed and off to school on time. Why can't I? Why is this so hard for me? All the other moms seem to have all their meals planned and all the soccer uniforms washed and cleaned and ready to go and all the schedules managed and it looks so peaceful. Why, why can't my home be like that? Why can't I be like all those other moms and so goes this voice of the inner critic. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not loving enough. I'm not patient enough. And, and the voice goes on. And so today, we're going to look at what God wants you to do, what God thinks of you when you feel like a failure. 
when you feel like you're not enough. Um, we're going to look at what God wants you to do when you feel like you've fallen short. And then we're going to talk about how the gospel sets you free from the voice of the inner critic. And just so the rest of you don't check out, dads, men, singles, children, the gospel applications are the same for you. Okay, so as we address moms specifically today, um, everything we're talking about, God is saying to every person in this room, I want you to know that. So um, we're going to pick up Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14, but verse 13, the end of verse 13 says this, that she went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So that's the sentiment kind of hanging in the air. She left me. This unfaithful wife of mine has left me. She has gone out chasing other lovers, and she has forgot me. Says who? Says the Lord. So everything we're going to be looking at today, we're going to, we're going to see that really the story about Hosea and Gomer is not a story about Hosea and Gomer in as much as it's a story about God and you. It's a story about God and us. And so verse 14 begins here that even though she has gone out and chased after other lovers and forgot me, says the Lord, look at verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. What? Is that what a jealous husband does? When his wife has forgotten him and left the home and chased after other lovers? Like, that's not what we would expect to hear, is it? I mean, God said, man, she forgot me. So we go, okay, what are you going to do about it, God? Are you going to bring down the hammer and, and, and heap up shame and guilt and make her feel guilty so she'll come home? And No, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Now, what's interesting is this word allure is actually a relational invitation, almost a seductive kind of romantic invitation from a husband to a wife. And God is saying this to his unfaithful children, us. What does it tell us about the nature and the heart of God? We talked about this in the Genesis series. When Adam and Eve mess up and they start feeling shame and hiding from God, God still shows up to do relationship with them. But so many times in our failure, we feel like if God's going to show up at all, he's bringing a hammer. Like we would expect God to show up and go, hey, you ready to come back home? Well, here's the list of non-negotiables if you want to come back to my house. That's, that's how we expect God to treat us. It's not how he treats us, is it? He's still doing relationship. He's still calling Hosea to show up and be a faithful, loving kind gentle tender husband why because he is a faithful kind gentle tender husband to us i will allure her i'm not going to yell at her i'm not going to rage on her i'm not going to speak to her in anger i'm going to allure her and then he says what i'm going to bring her into the wilderness and this this idea, this Hebrew verb, when it's attached to Yahweh, God, it translates lead. And so he's going to lead her where? 
into the wilderness, which is interesting because the wilderness part of the relationship between Israel and God is that is kind of that space between slavery and the promised land. And the wilderness was hard. Many times the nation of Israel was like, can we just go back? Like slavery seems better than what we're getting right now. Can we just go back? And so God in his kindness and his alluring heart towards unfaithful people says, I'm going to take you back to the wilderness. Why would that be the place God would take Israel? And I think it's, it's here. It's not just the hardness of that, but in the wilderness, Israel was 100% dependent on God. They forget him in the promised land a lot. But in the wilderness, there was this everyday reminder they needed God. They were following the cloud and they were following the pillar of fire. And that's the way they knew where to go. And they knew that as they were going, God's presence was near. Daily manna was provided. Miraculously, water was provided. Miraculously, protection was provided. And Israel was reminded day upon day upon day that they needed God. That if he changed his mind, they were doomed. And this is the place that God wants to take Israel back to. This place where they were dependent on him. I will allure her and I will take her back to that place in our relationship where she needs me. Where she won't forget me and run after other lovers. And I will speak tenderly to her In, later on in the book of Hosea, there's a reference to this wilderness part of the relationship between Israel and God. And chapter 13, 4 and 5 says this, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. That was slavery. You know no God but me, and beside me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, the land of drought. So when God reflects on this wilderness part of the journey and that relationship, he sees that as an intimate time with Israel. He enjoyed showing up and providing. He enjoyed this constant reminder of his presence to them. This was the place where God says, remember, this is where we really knew each other. This is where you really, really got to, got to know me. And this is where I want to take you and speak tenderly to you. I, I, that part, speak tenderly, is so important. One, because that's not often how we speak to ourselves. We talk about the voice of the inner critic. When was the last time you were kind to yourself in your own head? Especially moms. When was the last, last time you were kind to yourself in your own head? And what happens is we oftentimes superimpose that voice on God. If I'm, I'm critical of myself, I'm angry at myself, I feel like a failure, surely that's the way God's going to treat me. That's the way God's going to speak to me. <sighs> Again? You didn't get the soccer uniform clean on time again? What a horrible mom you are! If you were a good mom, fill in the blank. That's not the way God speaks to you. It's not the way God speaks to us. He speaks tenderly. So what we're seeing here in just this first verse is really a contrast between what we would expect a husband to do versus how God treats us. There's a contrast. 
We would expect a husband in this situation to be harsh, cold, unforgiving. We would expect a husband to reject an unfaithful wife, not invite her back and lead her to the place where he can provide for her needs. We would expect the husband to speak in anger and judgment, not tenderly from his heart to hers. Yet, this is God's posture towards Israel and their unfaithfulness. Listen, this is God's posture towards you. This is God's posture towards you in your failure and in your unfaithfulness. You don't have to get your life together to experience God this way. You don't have to get your life together first in order to experience God this way. God's posture towards you is gentleness as he leads you back to a place where he and he alone provides everything you need. Your value, your worth, your identity. Moving to verse 15 now, God begins to unfold promises for Israel through this relationship between Hosea and Gomer. Verse 15 says, And there I will, where? In the wilderness. And really a good Hebrew translation would be like, from there I will. So I'm going to lead her back to the wilderness, the place where she has to rely on me. And from there, I will give her vineyards. Not just give her vineyards, I will give her her vineyards. And make the valley of Anchor a door of hope. Acre, a door of hope. And there she shall answer in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This idea of giving her her vineyards. It's an idea of being in a place of peace. You really don't plant vineyards unless you expect to be there a while and, is, and, and, and unless you expect safety and peace. You wouldn't plant vineyards if the enemies were approaching. You wouldn't plant vineyards in a place that you didn't consider to be home, a place of like solitude and rest and peace. And so this idea of I'm going to give her some space. I'm going to give her a place to plant her vineyards. To know she is planted, she is safe, she is protected, she is at peace. I will give her her vineyards, and then I will make this valley of Acre a door of hope. And the idea here, this valley of Acre, was the place of Achan's horrible uh, sin against God. If you know this story, um, it was a it was it was a sense of like uh, there was a hidden sin among the people of Israel, and it was it was this this one. Um, Achan, who was hiding things, and he had taken some things as he shouldn't, and really had put the whole nation of Israel in jeopardy and at risk. And so that's the kind of thing God's looking at, this betrayal, this hidden sin, and he's saying, hey, I don't want you to look at that and think that that's what I'm thinking about you. I want you to look at that, and then I now want you to see that as a door of hope, a pathway to hope. That in your deepest, darkest secrets, in your deepest, darkest failures, in your deepest, darkest sins, there I will meet you, and I will make that place a doorway a pathway, an entryway into hope. Continuing on, verse 16, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you no longer will call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. So in the story of Hosea and Gomer, this is a reference to the men who Gomer was unfaithful with, okay? But the, I, this translation of Baal could be translated owner. 
And God's saying, no longer will you remember the names of those people that owned you, those voices that owned you. This, this idea, I'll, you will call me your husband, not your owner. I'm going to be different from all those other things that you were chasing after. You will actually call me your husband, and you will forget the names of the Baals, those other owners, those other cultural influences, those other voices that try to take you captive. In verse 18, I will make for them a covenant on that day. And this idea of covenant is beautiful. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, what God's referring to here is his initial covenant with Adam and Eve there in the garden. Like we see a restoration of like creation is restored here in this covenant, but it also reminds me of the, the covenant of marriage. And I think that that's definitely implied here of God's relationship to um, his bride is this idea that you and I, we are the unfaithful wife who's gone out and forgotten God and he's calling us, he's leading us back to himself, complete dependence. He speaks to us tenderly and he renews that marriage covenant with us. It's what he's gonna call Hosea to do with Gomer. But listen to this description, it's bigger than that. He says, I will make for them a covenant on that day with the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the creeping things on the ground. That sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? That sounds like the initial original covenant between God and mankind. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. I'm going to stop there. This idea of God restoring for us this, this Eden covenant. You remember when Adam and Eve broke the covenant? What entered the story? Death. Sin and death entered the story. And so here, God's talking about restoring that relationship with Adam and Eve in a way where not only is creation brought back together, but he's going to abolish things that bring about death, the bow, the sword, the war from the land. And instead, you're going to be able to what? Lie down in safety. God is calling Hosea to be a protector for his unfaithful wife, Gomer. Not only to invite her in, to treat her like a wife, renew that covenant with her, speak tenderly to her, but to provide protection, a step between her and her enemies. I said earlier, I just want to bring this up again. Moms specifically, I think one of the greatest enemies you face is that voice inside your own head. The critical voice that says you aren't enough, you'll never be enough. But the only way you're going to be treated kindly or tenderly or appreciated is that you gotta do more. I guess I gotta do more. I guess my children need more. I guess I gotta have more things to take pictures of so I can post on social media so that I can be liked more. And what we're getting here is this beautiful picture of not just Hosea standing between Gomer and her enemies, but God is doing this to show us how he steps between you and your greatest enemies. It reminds me, I spent a lot of time in John chapter eight this week thinking about God's protective heart for us. And if you're not familiar with the story of John 8, the first few verses there, um, all the way up to verse 11, situation where there was a woman caught in adultery and the Pharisees, religious leaders, bring her to Jesus and they're trying to trap him. And they're trying to put Jesus between the law of Moses and the law, law of the Roman government. And, and so they're thinking, well, let's do this. Let's, let's find somebody in adultery, eyewitness accounts, let's bring her to Jesus. And then let's say, hey, Jesus, the law of Moses says that you have to put her to death. Um, what are you going to do? And they know that if he doesn't put her to death, he'll be betraying the law of Moses. 
Um, but if he puts her to death, he'll be betraying the law of Rome because Rome doesn't have the same punishment. That would be actually violating Roman law. It's a really hard place for Jesus to be. And in this story, even though they're setting a trap for Jesus, instead of Jesus just dealing with the Pharisees, he steps in between this woman caught in adultery and her accusers. Just to read a few verses to you here so you can understand the heart of God towards you. Verse 7 says, As they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So he didn't say, Hey, let's just forget the law of Moses. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, give me a pen. I'm going to change that one. He's like, no, you're right. That's what the law of Moses demands. So tell you what, whoever doesn't have sin, whoever has it together, unlike this unfaithful woman, you get to throw the first stone. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. There's a lot of speculation about what he wrote. Maybe he was writing the commandments out so they could take some inventory. Or maybe he was just writing their names and a list of all their sins that deserve to be right penalized by death so that if they threw the stone and killed this woman then they would be next i don't know what he wrote but he wrote something on the ground and when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the older ones and jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him so he steps between the woman and her accusers who want to put her to death her critics her condemners he steps between her and them they all flee. They leave. Verse 10 says, He stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Well, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Don't miss this. If Jesus had picked up a stone and chosen to put her to death, he would have been justified. He was the only one who was justified. The only one without sin who had the credentials to put somebody to death for their sin. And he was completely just to choose mercy instead. He's not sweeping her sin under the rug going, hey, it's no big deal, just go do what you were doing. I'll catch you in heaven. It'll be fine. He's like, no, like, you're right. That's what the law of Moses says. He honored the law of Moses, but in his authority, his righteous authority, he stepped in between the woman and her accusers and did not condemn her. I have no idea what she's thinking. Ladies, can you imagine? <sighs> Public humiliation. I mean, this is worse than being humiliated on social media. They're in the temple. This is the holy place. Not only has she been drugged out in public, all of her sin is on display. All of her failures are on display. All of her inadequacies are on display. This is the kind of moment we get to see what kind of God God is. What is his heart like? What is his posture towards us when we rebel and are unfaithful? This is what I think we're getting at in the story of Hosea. I think God wants it to catch us off guard and go, wait a second, wait a second. Isn't this about a husband and an unfaithful wife? Because this doesn't sound like that kind of story. Why is God doing all these kind things for her? Shouldn't he be like throwing stones at her? Shouldn't he be adding conditions to her? Shouldn't he be like saying, okay, I'll let you come home as long as to her? He's not. 
Instead, he's protecting her. He's removing the bow and the sword and the war from the land so that she can lie down in safety. So she can have a place to plant her vineyards. And then he says three times, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. I don't know if this is, I think it's intentional that he says it three times. It reminds me of Peter denying the Lord three times and God restoring Peter in his unfaithfulness how many times? Three times. It's the kind of thing God does. He goes to the extreme to make sure we, we heard him. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you said something like nice to them? And like, oh, okay, thank you, and they moved on. And you're like, no, 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 let's circle back around. Let's make, make sure you heard me. Like, thank you for this thing that you, oh, I know, I know, well, anybody, and then they move on. Like, they just have a hard time hearing a compliment. Uh, Nick, I think, said this this past week in an elder meeting. He's like, sometimes it takes like 30 seconds for a compliment to sink in. Yet a critical voice, man, you'll, you'll pick up on that immediately. You'll believe it immediately. But it'll take a minute for you to believe a compliment, a kind word, a gentle word. I don't know if that's what's behind all this, but God wants to make sure that we hear it. I will betroth you to me. Oh, I know God, because that's what, no, no, no. I will betroth you to me. Well, I, I mean, I know God's little, okay. No, listen to me. Let me, let me have your eyes. Let me have your ears. I will betroth you to me. I will choose to love you. I will choose to marry you. I will choose to restore my covenant with you. But God, what if I fail you? Ah. This is my choice. I'm choosing to betroth you to me, and you shall know the Lord. Man, that's powerful. We'll pick this back up in verse 21. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. That was the name of the first kid. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. That was the next kid. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you're my God. You're my God. And what a beautiful portrait of restoration here. It's not just about Gomer. It's a restoration of her children. And in this, God wants to see our own restoration that he would take people like us who don't act like his people. You know, that's how Gomer's Homer is Hosea's wife, but she's not acting like his wife. Right? Sometimes our kids don't act like our kids, do they, moms? <laughs> You're like, whose kid are you? And God's like, yeah, sometimes that's the way you act. So I'm going to take those of you who don't act like my people, and I'm going to make you my people. Oh, but God, I've messed up so much, and I say, yeah, and I have, I have mercy for you. Yeah, but save that for all the other people. God, I just messed up too bad. And God's like, no, no, no. Those of you who don't feel like you deserve my mercy, guess what I'm going to give you? My mercy. And in this story, we see this beautiful portrait of the living God. 
as God restores Gomer's children as this symbol, it's a symbol of God's restoration of us. And in the beginning of chapter 3, and this is really where I want to land today and where the title of the sermon comes from. And so now we're going to get God's instructions to Hosea. Here's your, here's your action steps, Hosea. And the Lord said to me, go again. But I've already gone, God. No, go again. Why? Because that's what I do. I go again. Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and who is adult and adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So here's what Hosea, don't miss this. So beautiful. Hosea has no idea. I don't think he has any idea how powerfully he is bearing the image of God and what he's about to do. And so here's what he does, verse 2. So I bought her. Do you, do you feel the weight of what God just told him to do? Hosea, where's your wife? She left. Left me here with these three ill-named children. <laughs> Horribly named. Like, I guess I get to raise them on my own. She's out there chasing after other things. <sighs> and God's like, here's my instructions for you, Hosea. Okay, I'm listening. Please don't ask me to do that again. Yeah, go get her again. Go get her again. Hosea goes, and he buys her. He bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. He's, he's like, man, I'm scraping together everything I have here. I've got this silver, and I scraped together the barley, everything I can to go purchase her. And in this, we read in verse 3, the beginning of verse 3 says, and I said to her, <laughs> okay, what's Hosea going to say to Gomer? Think about it. Try to imagine that. What are his first words going to be? He goes and he finds her and he scraped together all of his money. Look at what he says to her. Verse 3, you must dwell as mine for many days. You must dwell as mine. That's the title of the sermon today. Now, God didn't scrape together everything that he had to buy you back. Here's what he did. He sent something of really priceless value, his only son, to pay a price for you. Moms, I want you to hear that. God has purchased you. For he so loves you that he sent his only son to die on a cross to pay the price for you. A whole lot more than scraping together a bunch of silver and barley. That's the price God paid for you. And on one hand, you would go, okay then, I guess now he's my owner and I'm his slave. That's, that's the transaction that would have taken place in this day and time. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't call me your owner. Call me your husband. That's a big deal. The only being in the universe who has justification to speak to you 
critically and harshly with condemnation, instead chooses to speak to you tenderly and allure you to himself. And his words to you are this, these, you must dwell as mine. What is the answer for all the pressure you feel, moms? What's the solution for the voice of the inner critic? I'll just bullet down as simple as I can. When we struggle to hear the voice of God, it's because there are too many other voices in our heads going on. The voices of culture and social media, our parents, what other people think of me, this thing my husband just said to me in the kitchen, what did he mean by that? All these other voices, but the loudest voice in your head oftentimes is your own voice. That's the one competing with the voice of God. God, I don't deserve your love. I'm a failure. God says what? You're mine. God, I'm unfaithful. I'm a gomer to you. God says, you're my wife. Oh God, please don't, please don't, please don't be angry at me. Please don't yell at me. God says, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm going to speak to you tenderly. I'm going to invite you back. I'm going to lead you back to this wilderness place where you depend on me. And I get to be your husband. God's solution to the feeling like you are a failure is this. You must dwell as mine. God says to his unfaithful wife, that's not who you are. I don't care what social media says. I don't care what other moms think about you. I don't care about what you say about yourself. That's not who you are. I bought you with a price, and you must dwell as mine. Moms, I want to speak to you specifically right now, and everybody else in the room, I want you to overhear me, because this applies to you. Fair enough? So why the story of the unfaithful wife for Mother's Day? Because the story of Hosea and Gomer is the story of God's hope for those of us who feel shackled to guilt and the feeling like we are not enough. That's why. In the story of Hosea, we get a beautiful picture of how God meets us, all of us, moms, how he meets you in your failures, in your disobedience, and in your inadequacies. Unlike the critical voice in your head or the harsh judgment that you feel from the world, God meets you in your failure with the gentle invitation to let him guide you to a place where he provides everything you need and restores his relationship with you. When we begin to see ourselves as the unfaithful wife, we begin to understand that that's not how God sees us. He actually sees us as a radiant bride. When we can't seem to get our lives together in our own strength, the gospel reminds us that Jesus has already done the work. He's already done the work to restore our lives, and he has already paid the price to purchase us out of our failure. Through the story of Hosea, God reminds us that even when we feel unlovable and inadequate, we belong to him, and he calls us his own. The greatest mother's gift I could give to you all <laughs> is really a gift I can't give to you. It's the gift God wants to give to you. 
the gift of restored relationship, the gift of a tender voice that invites you back into that relationship if you've been shaming yourself and hiding from God and running from God or feeling like a failure or beating yourself up. God wants to step in between you and the voice of your condemners, the voice of your critics. And even though he is just in his holiness to condemn you, instead he wants to say this, I just want to be your husband. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want you to know my kindness. I want you to know how much I love you. So I want to end with a few um, questions here for reflection. And, and moms, again, directing this towards you and everybody else listening online or in the room, feel free to answer these questions yourself. I want you to take some inventory. And please don't answer this out loud. What do you not like about yourself? Sad reality. Not a person in the room had to really stop and think about it more than likely. You already had the list ready. What is it you don't like about yourself? In what areas do you feel like you're failing your family? In what areas are you telling yourself, I should be a better mother? What do you feel like God's demeanor towards you is when you bring him your failures? Is he angry or is he compassionate? Is he harsh or is he gentle? Then I want you to think for a minute about what God has done to pay, to pay for your failures, to purchase you so that he can call you his own. I want to pray over us now, and before I do that, um, really the greatest gift that moms need today, I can't give to you, and our prayer partners can't give to you, and our elders can't give to you, but we would love the opportunity to pray over you. If anything today has like resonated with you and like touched a nerve or a place where you're like, oh, that kind of got close to home, um, I encourage you to come grab our prayer partners. Um, you'll see couple over here a couple over there usually a man and a woman and a man and a woman if you're like hey I just from mom to mom I just need to go talk to one of one of the ladies here feel free grab one of the ladies and you guys go out and grab a prayer room and talk and pray together um, if you've got questions that you want to ask and you need some direction our elders will be available as well out in, in the commons area um, as always and um, we want to give you permission to either stand and sing with us when the band comes back out but if you want to stay seated you can do that you can stay seated just prayerfully thinking about how God's spoken to you today. Um, listen, you may need to do something beyond what I've listed here today. You may need to go spend some time with God today and ask him, God, can I hear your voice louder than my own today? Would you do that for me? Would you drown out this voice of condemnation in my head so that I can hear your voice today? I'm going to pray for us now and as I'm praying, if you're here today and you do not know God, you don't have a relationship with God, my greatest encouragement today is that before you leave here today, you would allow a prayer partner or an elder or a pastor talk with you about what it means to be a Christian, to let you know what God expects from you to have a relationship with you. And, and the good news is it's not overwhelming. It's, he wants you to believe, to place your trust and faith in Jesus and him alone and then like that's the end of the list like it's a faith move from you 
If that's you here today, and you're like, hey, I want to become a Christian, I want to know more about this, come grab one of us, okay? I'm going to pray now, and our worship team's going to come back out, and we're going to respond. Um, Father, we bow before you. We thank you for the um, sacred nature of the roles of family. And today we stop to acknowledge one of the roles of this sacred thing you call family, the role of mom. Father, we recognize that moms aren't perfect. They don't get all the things done they want to get done. They don't perfectly obey you when you call them. They they fail, they fall short. And Father, so thankful for this story in the book of Hosea that shows us, God, how you meet us, how you meet moms in failure. So today, um, Father, I'm praying for, especially for our moms, that they would see just how noble this calling is to be a mom, but they would also walk out of here just knowing that you've called them not to a place of pressure and condemnation and harsh treatment, but you've called them to a place of safety. You're leading them into a relationship with you that brings peace, a place to plant vineyards, a place to rest, a place to find protection and peace, even from the voices inside their own head. Father, we're praying your Holy Spirit would speak today and that the voice of the Spirit would be louder than the other voices that we hear. As we stand to sing, Father, we pray you'd be honored and lifted up. I pray, God, if anybody here does not know you or is not walking with you, that they would hear and respond to the invitation to come to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.